Christmas pictures. A couple of weeks ago, Melody Crank in our church met us at the house and took our Christmas photo, our Christmas picture. Fourteen of us. Fourteen of us, but not all fourteen are grown-ups. Four grandchildren. The task of getting all 14 of us to look at the camera, to not be picking something at the same time, to have our hands in a position, to have our faces lifted upward, to be smiling, whatever the case may be, was quite a task. But she got it done. And we are taking that Christmas picture and preparing it for use to send to people, to share, to always have for our own. It's a great picture. It's a picture that captures all 14 Hatfields and the extended family, of course, all of those, daughters, sons-in-law, all of us. It'll be a memory for us. It will be a, a picture from this moment, this Christmas season. You remember we talked last week about the fact that before there were cameras, there still were pictures. You simply took a picture with your eyes, you remember, and then you processed it with your brain, with your mind, and then you printed it out with your, with your lips, with your words. Back when Jesus was born in a manger, there were no Polaroids, there were no Instamatics, there were no digital cameras. It was just simply the idea of someone on that scene taking the picture with their mind and describing it to those who wanted to hear. That's the way pictures were taken for centuries and centuries. We had the luxury of the photo, of the digital picture, full color. Someday I'm sure they'll be three-dimensional, who knows? It's amazing also to remember that when you look at the pictures of Bible characters, people in the Bible, there are all kinds of descriptors for this person or that person, but there's not a single description to tell us what Jesus looked like. Nothing. We could narrow down that, of course, that he was a man, that he was a Jew, and that would give us some idea of the approximate height and weight. But other than that, we have nothing to go on. Nothing to give us an idea because, once again, all of those famous paintings that you have in your brain are just the artist's conception of what they felt the Lord could have looked like. And most of those are so out of place because a person painting in the 15th century is painting a Jesus who had on 15th century clothing and, of course, had the hairstyle and the facial features of someone who lived during that day and that time. But we do have pictures of the Lord. Don't mistake. They don't tell us what he looked like. They tell us who he is, what he's done for us. We started last week and we looked at the first picture, the first picture of the Christmas season. And it was found there in Luke chapter 2. When the angels and the shepherds converged upon that place and Mary and Joseph had the baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth, you remember. 
He is the Savior. The second picture that we look at today, the second picture of the Christmas season actually is found also in that long chapter. Chapter 2, Luke, is a long piece of Scripture. The passage we look at today picks up in verse 21. It's a joyous occasion. That's how it begins. Pick up and read the Scripture with me where it says there, that when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name then was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." A joyous occasion. We may find it a little strange because we're not used to the occasion that's described here in this picture. But you could liken what happened here with Jesus to what we do here in our church. We have from time to time, three or four times a year, what we call a parent, child, or a baby dedication. Maybe you've attended one. Maybe you've had one of your own children presented and dedicated in a church service where mom and dad bring those babies and we line them up across this platform and we call their names. We show a picture of them. We know what they look like, not only because we see it right here in person, but we have the photo. And then we proclaim a blessing and a prayer. Baby dedication, parent commitment. It's a joyous occasion. What we just read is the New Testament version of an occasion like that. The Scripture tells us that there were two or three things outlined in the Old Testament that all good Jewish parents followed through with in the birth of a child. It's a boy. So on the eighth day, that child is circumcised. Then, after a period of time that according to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament could have approximated about 40 days, they were to bring the child back. Since it was a boy, the firstborn boy, he was to be presented as a special child, as an offering actually unto God. And then there is a rite of purification that involved the mother of a child. She was considered to be unclean for 40 some odd days. She could not go back into the temple area. But the description we have in this passage is that when Jesus is about a month, a little over a month and 10 days old, 40, 41, 42 days old, Mary and Joseph apparently brought him to the temple to take care of those two items at one time, to bring him as a, an offering to God, their firstborn son, and for Mary to be able to enter back into religious, spiritual life. They brought an offering. If they could have afforded it, they would have brought a lamb. But the fact that they brought two pigeons, two turtle doves, tells us that the income level of the Lord's family was toward the bottom. Nothing to be ashamed of, of course. But Luke just tells us, just kind of as an aside, that Jesus indeed came from a a working family, and his parents could not afford to buy a lamb. 
and bring for this joyous occasion. They did what they could. Perfect photo op. Perfect opportunity to snap a picture. And boy, what a picture was taken. Because the extraordinary event that followed this joyous occasion is recorded in verses 25 and following. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God. And he said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you promised and prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at these things which were being said about him. Simeon turned and blessed them and then said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from the hearts of many may be revealed. That's a picture. Well, it's not a photo. It's not digitized. But it's a picture. It's a picture of Jesus. I want to just go back through the words that this elderly prophet said and explain them and just go a little deeper with each one of the, the phrases that Simeon said so that we can get an accurate picture of our Lord. The joyous occasion, the bringing of the child Jesus by Mary and Joseph, the bringing of the offering, a happy day, a happy occasion. And then as they bear the child. I can see Mary just cradling him. And as they're making their way through the court of the women, Mary wasn't allowed to go into the innermost parts of the temple, no doubt. But it was then that this man, Simeon, is introduced. He's mentioned here and nowhere else in Scripture. He's in this snapshot, if you will. He's in this picture, and that's it. But what he says is amazing. A little bit about the man, from what we know, he was a senior adult, his age is not given, but he had been around long enough to know that God was going to do something and show him something before his life was over. He was under the power of the Holy Spirit, under the control of God's Spirit. And he had been told in no uncertain terms that if he watched and he waited, he would recognize the Lord's Christ is what the passage says. Remember, Christ is not a name. Christ is a title. Christ in Hebrew is literally Messiah. 
So when we say Jesus Christ, Jesus is his name, Christ is his title. And when we, in the spirit of the New Testament, add Lord Jesus Christ, we take that title of Lord with a capital L and we ascribe it to the name Jesus who is the Lord's Christ. Simeon was given the promise that he would see the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Messiah before his life was over. And in the miraculous turn of events as God's spirit was upon Simeon when Mary and Joseph hit the door of the temple court area, Simeon saw him. Now, I know that in the day and age in which we live, it is a little bit strange for a stranger to come up and just grab a baby out of one's arms. You'd be arrested for doing such a thing. But Simeon, with no other thought than to touch this anointed one, came up and immediately took the baby out of Mary's arms and held him up. And you notice that the Scripture says he drew the first part of the picture by speaking to God. It's almost a prayer, a blessing to God. And in that blessing to God, he says a couple of things. He draws some particular conclusions. He adds to the picture of Jesus. It's over there in verse 29 where he says, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation. It was in that first picture when Jesus was born lying in the manger, wrapped in the swaddling cloth, looking like any other baby, when the shepherds realized that here, here was the Savior of the world. And Simeon just nails that down. He just emphasizes the conclusion that Jesus, this baby indeed, is God's salvation. What the Jews had been looking for since day one. The anointed one, the promised one. Every passage in the Old Testament, in particular, the prophet Isaiah, there is no doubt that Simeon had Isaiah down. If not memorized, he knew most of the passages that spoke about this promised child, this promised Messiah, this Savior. And so once again, the picture tells us that Jesus is God's salvation to a lost and dying world. That means he's your salvation and my salvation. And so Simeon can't help but bless God and say, Lord, you told me years ago that if I would watch and wait, I would put my eyes upon your salvation and here the moment is. But in the blessing to God, he not only refers to Jesus as salvation, but he refers to Jesus as light. That's another part of the picture. He says, you prepared this in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now, we just read over that. But think of what Simeon just said. In the midst of a culture that was very ethnic, these Jews, anyone looking for the Lord's anointed one, was going to apply that salvation to the nation, Israel, only for the most part. 
But Simeon actually quotes from the prophet Isaiah in the 42nd chapter when he says, you had prepared this all along in the midst of all peoples, not just Jews, but he is to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Everybody else. All of us. You look back through the history of Israel and there was that man where it started. His name was Abram. His name was changed to Abraham. And because of his obedience, because of his faithfulness, God promised that Abraham would have descendants that would number the stars and that he would not only bless his own people group, but he would be a blessing to the nations of the world. And here Simeon tells us in no uncertain terms that part of this picture as it comes into focus of who Jesus is is that he's going to be a light of revelation to all of us, to Gentiles to the entire world. Light. Light that radiates. You know, in our house, there are certain passageways that I have memorized because certain routines that I go through, depending on what day of the week it is, it's very important that I be able to get around in the dark. Uh, there's a hallway that leads from the living area back to where our bedroom is. And it's, it's fairly dark, but I know exactly how many steps it is from one passageway to the next. All was well until Marcy cleaned house right after Thanksgiving. And her vacuum cleaner is one that when she takes it apart, it comes apart in like five or six pieces. It's a rainbow vacuum cleaner. She thinks it's the greatest thing on the face of the earth. I'm sure it is. She pulled it apart and she left it in the hallway. That's not good. I first of all discovered that it was there in broad daylight because I just make my way through one part of the house to the other without giving a thought to it. And I was, I don't know if I had something in my hand. It may have been something to eat or I was reading something, but I was just rolling along and bumped in to the vacuum cleaner in the hallway and almost lost my balance completely. But I am an athlete and I kept my poise. She wasn't there. Reminded myself mentally to say something to her about it. I did. She said, move it. (laughs) And I could have, but I didn't. I decided I was going to let her see what it was like to approach the hallway in the dark because she and I sometimes get up to go get drinks of water or whatever. Point being, in the darkness, it's hard to get around. It's hard to know where things are supposed to be. It's hard to keep your bearings. When Jesus was revealed as the Savior of the world, a light of revelation to all Gentiles, all of a sudden, every person on the face of the earth was given the opportunity to have light shed upon their way of life. To be able to say, that's what's been wrong with me all this time. That's what my issue is. The light of God's revelation in Christ revealed 
where we were having our missteps, revealed our shortcomings, revealed the fact that we were missing the mark, that we were sinners. That's tremendous. Because the Gentiles all this time have been stumbling around in darkness, worshiping the moon or the water, who knows what. And then when the opportunity was given to see clearly God's light, to be able to make those adjustments and to see that the light would lead us to a relationship with the Son of God, the living Son of God, Jesus the Christ. That's an amazing part of the picture. But you know, back to the old hallway in the rainbow vacuum cleaner, I wasn't going to move it. Marcy decided she wasn't going to move it. It stayed there five days. I lost a toenail to prove it. Because you see, even when the light is put upon everything that's there, even when the light illuminates, doesn't mean that we're going to take what the light shows us and do anything about it, does it? The light shining in darkness. We light candles of Christmas, but that doesn't mean that when the light illuminates and when the light shows us where we've gone wrong, it's not a guarantee that we're going to make that choice. It's an opportunity to see. It's an opportunity to understand. Simeon says, this baby is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He then turns his attention to Mary and Joseph, and he begins to speak to them, specifically to Mary. The Scripture says, I don't think he was ignoring Joseph, but I I guess Simeon just put his focus on Mary. And after he had blessed God and prayed to God, he then blessed the parents. Y'all be good moms and dads. Take your child to synagogue, take him to church, teach him to be honest, whatever it was he wanted to say. And then he looked at Mary and he said, and mother, I want you to know this. And then we read that he said to Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel for a sign to be opposed. So the other part of this picture is because when it comes into focus is that Jesus is going to be a sign. Now, folks, listen carefully. There is no doubt that Simeon is referring to a powerful figure of speech, a powerful metaphor that you're going to find in Isaiah in two places in the book of Psalms for a third. It's the idea of Jesus being a, a point of stumbling. He doesn't say stumbling block here, but the sign to be opposed points to a metaphor that you're going to find in the prophecy of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 28, 16, and then Isaiah 8, 14. And then Psalm 118, 22, all three of those passages talk about the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Christ being a, a point of stumbling or a point of support for the fall of some, for the rising of others. And then it's amazing that Peter, when he wrote his letter, 
in what we call 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen, because he takes all three of those passages, two from Isaiah, one from Psalms, and listen to what Peter says in the second chapter of his letter. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. That's Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. This precious value then is for those who believe, but for those who disbelieve, he is the stone which the builders rejected. This became the very cornerstone. That's Psalm one eighteen twenty two, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. That's Isaiah eight fourteen. Jesus is going to be a sign to be opposed. A rock, a stumbling stone. When you look at the representation of a stone, it's been cut. It's been made ready to be put into a portion of a building. It's going to be either used as a cornerstone. It's going to be used as one that is going to be the pivot point, the starting point of a fine building. It's going to be the chief cornerstone. That's a direct reference to some of us who are going to come to Jesus and we're going to receive him. And he is going to become the cornerstone, the anchor of our life. But others may walk through life and hit this stone. And in so doing, stumble right over it. They may try to kick it. They may grow to hate it. For it will be a marker in their life. It will be a stone of stumbling. It will not be a cornerstone to give them their faith an anchor point from which to build. But it will be a rock of offense. Mary, your child, he's going to be appointed as a sign to be opposed. The light to the Gentiles, been stumbling around in darkness, The light of Jesus exposes what needs to be done. It's not a guarantee that anything will be done. It's simply saying that God has appointed that light to give us the opportunity. But when we come to this metaphor, when we come to this figure of speech, when we come to the cornerstone, is it a cornerstone in your life? Or is it a stone of stumbling? Because you see, that's what Jesus brings out. One of two responses. Never anything in between. Never any middle ground. We either love him, receive him, and serve him, or we reject him. We stumble over the cornerstone. And then he told Mary one final thing. He said, this baby's going to be a sword. It's going to be a sword which will pierce even your own soul. You can see how some people take a phrase like that said to Mary and seek to elevate her to a status that brings her almost to a point where people worship the Virgin Mary. I don't see it that way. I don't agree with those who want to beautify or deify Mary. But I do think that when Simeon looked at this mother, he told her, you're going to have to prepare to walk a path of suffering because everything you see this child do, especially when he turns 30 and leaves home, 
When he turns 30 and leaves home, he'll work for three, three and a half years. And you're going to watch people stumble over him. You're going to see some people love him. You're going to see him direct light upon dark, where there is darkness. And you're going to see that light reveal the hearts and the intents of many people. And many of those people are going to receive the love of God through that light. And others, the light is going to shine upon their sinfulness and it's just going to highlight and accentuate it even more. For it's a sword that's going to pierce your own heart. Maybe he was saying to Mary, when people look at you, they're going to know you're related to Jesus. And maybe that's what we have to take from a passage like this today. Is that as followers of Jesus, there may be times when our relationship to Christ causes us to suffer. It's a picture It's a picture that asks a question. And the question is very simple. What have you done with Jesus? Couldn't be any clearer, I don't think. Here's an elderly prophet waiting who knows how long to be able to take this child in his arms and hold him forth and bless God and paint a portrait. Or take a portion of a picture. And then turn to his mom and dad and speak words that complete that picture. And then as we look at it, the light shining upon your life as it caused you to run to God or run away from Him. And the stone, is it the cornerstone of your life? Or is it just another reason to be bitter toward God and everything in life? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to look at the picture. And now we ask the question, and I hope we're ready to answer it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We offer an invitation an opportunity for you and me to respond to the picture of Jesus. Are you here today without Christ? Has the light revealed what's lacking? But yet you've, you've not stepped forward and not understood and not taken the Lord's offer of mercy and grace to make it your own. I would urge you to do that, implore you to do that. We'll have ministers and deacons standing here to receive you, to help you, to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you know the Lord never publicly professed your faith in Him, never been baptized as a believer. Make those choices. Maybe you're looking for a place to call your own, a church where you can plug in, where you can connect, where you can serve. If you feel God's leading you, your family perhaps, then come and join this church today. Why wait any longer? No better day than the second Sunday of Christmas. And then maybe the simple fact is, is that you've never really considered the fact that the light shining upon your life has brought about what kind of response or lack of. What is it that God would have you to do? What is it that you must do to take the next step in obedience to Him?
That is our invitation. We stand together. We sing. We wait for you here in the front. Won't you step out? Come forward right now.